Joshua 1 verse 1 says, I'm not speaking about Joshua, but the verse 1 of chapter 1 says, And it came to pass after the death of Moses, the servant of Jehovah. Judges chapter 1 verse 1 begins with a similar phrase. And it came to pass after the death of Joshua. But there's a huge difference between the two chapters. After the death of Joshua, after the death of Moses in the book of Joshua, we heard from Seher there was victories, there was possession of the land, and it corresponds to the epistle to the Ephesians, where we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies, and we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. But the book of Judges, and after the death of Joshua, there was a huge change. There was corruption, there was defeat, there was oppression from the enemies, and it corresponds to Second Timothy in the New Testament, where we read of Christendom in the last days, where we read of them being um, going from bad to worse, and they are misled. Now, before we go in much detail, let's look at some facts about the book of Judges. So Joshua was the first historical book. Now we get the second historical book. It's most likely written by Samuel. It covers a period of 450 years. We read of 12 judges in the book of Judges. And then we get two more in the book of First Samuel. Now the 12 judges in the book of Judges are, the first one is Othniel, the son of Kenaz. The second one is Ehud, the son of Gera. The third one is Shamgar, the son of Anna. The fourth one is Barak slash Deborah. The fifth one is Gideon. Number six is Tola. Number seven is Jair. Number eight is Jephthah. Number nine is Ibsen. Number ten is Elon. 11 is Abdon, and the last one is Samson. And the two judges that we get in the book of 1 Samuel are uh, Eli the priest, and then the last one is Samuel, who most likely wrote this book. Out of the 12 judges mentioned in the book of Judges, we get six of them who are mentioned in great details, and six who are mentioned briefly in one or two verses. Before we speak about the judges, I think it's important to know what the meaning of a, of a judge is. It's not the same as we know it today. It doesn't mean a judge who sits in a courthouse and uh, gives out sentences. But a judge is someone who had the mind of the Lord, someone who is chosen by God to lead his people. And, for example, we get that in Acts 24, Paul describes himself as uh, a judge for God. And he wasn't really a judge, he was just someone who had the mind of God and he led his people. The main theme in the book of Judges is the failure of the people. And it's not just the failure of the people, it's the repeated failure of the people. Over and over again they repeat. Uh, they repeat their mistakes. If we can give it a title, we can call it the repeated failure of man versus the overabounding grace of God. Or we can call it the sinfulness of man and the God of all grace. Even in the midst of their corruption, God never forsook them. But he was always willing to, when they repented and when they cried out to him, he was always willing to send a savior. Something also that we need to look at in this book is there is a cycle that gets repeated over and over again. 
we get the children of Israel again doing evil. The Lord punishes them. We get also the anger of Jehovah was hot against Israel and he sold them into the hands of whatever enemy. Then we get the children of Israel crying unto Jehovah. And then finally we get Jehovah raised up a savior. In the first two points we get sin and bondage. The last two points we get salvation and deliverance. And that cycle we will see gets repeated over and over again. Now we can look at the divisions of the book. There are 21 chapters. The first two chapters are an introduction. They show the political and the spiritual condition of the people and how they disobeyed God. From chapter 3 to chapter 16, we get to mention the names of the judges and their stories. From chapter 17 to 21, we get the conclusion of the book, where we uh, read of three different examples of the corruption of the people. And I'll go into that when I, when I get to it. So after the introduction in the first two chapters, we get from chapter 3, we get the first judge who is, in verse 9, is Othniel, the son of Kenaz. In chapter, at the end of chapter 3, we get the second one, who is Shamgar. So in verse 31. And then in chapter 4, verse 4 and 5 and 6, we get the names of Deborah and Barak working together. Then chapter 5, we get the song of Deborah after the uh, the success and the victory they had. Chapter 6, we get the introduction of Gideon, and chapter 7 as well, and chapter 8, so Gideon covers 6, 7, and 8. Chapter 9, we get a civil war where the son of Gideon takes over the kingdom without any right, and he causes division among the people, and he ends up being killed. Chapter 10, we get the next two judges. In verse 1 is Tola, and then chapter th uh, verse 3, Jair. And then chapter 11, we get another big, another main character, who is Jephthah. He covers chapter 11 and chapter 12. And then from chapter 13 to 16, we get Samson. Now, there's a phrase which is repeated four times, and it's one of the main phrases in this book. In chapter 3, verse... 12, it says, And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of Jehovah. This verse is repeated four times. So in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says again, And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of Jehovah. And then chapter 10, verse 6, it says, And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of Jehovah. And then chapter 13, verse 1, and the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of Jehovah. Another verse that's repeated a lot of times is, uh, we find it in chapter 17, verse 6. Again, it's repeated four times. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Chapter 18, verse 1. In those days there was no king in Israel. Again, chapter 19, verse 1 when there was no king in Israel. And in the last verse of the whole book, it says, in those days there was no king in Israel. 
Another key phrase which is mentioned twice, it says, every man did what was right in his own eyes. That's in chapter 21 in the last verse as well. And chapter 17 verse 6, every man did what was right in his own eyes. In the middle section of this book, so from chapter 3 to chapter 16, which covers the 12 judges, we read of seven defeats. Let's go through them so we know where they are. In chapter 3, verse 8, so after they sinned, it says, And the anger of Jehovah was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathim. The second uh, defeat uh, was in the same chapter, verse 13. And he gathered to him the children of Ammon and Amalek, and went and smote Israel, and they took possession of the city. That's the second defeat of the people. The third one is in chapter 4, and verse 2. It says, And Jehovah sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. That's the third defeat. The fourth defeat is in chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. It says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of Jehovah, and Jehovah delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. The fifth time was when there was a civil war in chapter 9, and in verse 45 it says, And Abimelech fought against the city. This number 6 is in chapter 10, verse 8. It says, And they oppressed and crushed the children of Israel in that year. Eighteen years they oppressed all the children of Israel. And the last time is in chapter 13, verse 1. In the last section of the verse it says, And Jehovah gave them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. Twelve judges, seven defeats, and all up they were in bondage for 114 years. That's the middle division of the book. The last few chapters, so the last section of the book, which is chapter 17 to chapter 21, we read of three different ways which shows how the people were corrupt. Chapter 17 and 18 shows the corruption of the religion, how they were religiously corrupt. And we get that, so if we um, go, for example, ch chapter 17, and verse 3, it says, And he restored the 1,100 silver pieces to his mother, and his mother said, I had dedicated the silver to Jehovah from my hand for my son to make a graven image and a molten image, and now I will restore it to this. So they were making molten uh, images and graven images. And then verse 5, it says, And the man Micah had a house of gods and made an ephod and teraphim and consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. They were just creating their own religion. Uh, later on in the chapter, he meets another Levi and he makes him his own priest. And then the last verse of chapter 17, he says, Then said Micah, Now I know that Jehovah will do me good because I have the Levite for priest. They had completely gone away from the ways of the Lord and they had their own religion. That's in chapter 17 and 18. In chapter 19 they were corrupt morally. 
to the point that they sinned in the same way as the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a horrible story. I don't want to go into too much details, but they commit the same mistakes and the same sins as the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. They corrupted morally. The last two chapters, they were corrupt politically. We... Um, Let's go, for example, to chapter 21. They had another civil war where they started killing each other. In chapter 21, verse 3, it says, God of Israel, Jehovah God of Israel, why has it come to pass in Israel that there should be this day one tribe lacking in Israel? They killed everyone from the tribe of Benjamin, and all of a sudden they had no one from the tribe of Benjamin. Again, in verse 6 of the same chapter, and the children of Israel repented them for Benjamin, their brother, and said, Today is one tribe extirpated from Israel. It's also important to know that in that last section, from chapter 17 to chapter 21, we get the repeated phrase, In those days there was no king of Israel. In chapter 17, in 18, and in 21. It's as if the Lord is reminding us, there was no one ruling them, and they were doing whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Now a few lessons for us. What does failure look like? And we get that in throughout the book, but more importantly in chapter 1 and 2, which I will go through, and then if we go throughout the book, we will find more examples of their failure. So in chapter 1, we get that uh, Israel is asking the Lord for guidance about who shall go up. And then the Lord decides to choose Judah. But then Judah goes and speaks to Simeon and they wanted to do a team. He, Simeon helps Judah and then Judah can help him later on. But that's not what the Lord said. So the first sign of failure is not obeying God fully. Doing half the job, obeying Him in one point and then leaving the other points and doing whatever I want is not obedience. And that's the, big, that's the first sign of failure. And God talks to them in chapter 1 verse 2. Uh, the last bit of the verse is, You have not hearkened unto my voice. He didn't say you hearken to half of my command, but if you obey half, it counts as not hearkening at all. In chapter 3, verse 5, we read also that the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So they lived among the people of the world. And let's see how that affected them. It says, verse 6, They took their daughters as wives and gave their daughters to their sons and served their gods. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of Jehovah and forgot Jehovah their God. That's another sign of failure. Being living in the world and being influenced with the world and doing exactly what they do. In chapter 2, another, we get another sign of the failure. When the judgment of God came upon them, in verse 4, it says, and, when it, and it came to pass when the angel of Jehovah spoke to Israel, spoke these words to all the children of Israel, 
that the people lifted up their voice and wept. And they called the name of that place Bukim. And they sacrificed there to Jehovah. Failure from God, failure and being away from God is tears and sadness and lack of joy. But also, if you look here, they uh, cried, they acknowledged their sin, but there was no repentance. And that's, um, that's a lesson for us. We sin sometimes, but sin, when repentance comes, when we repent, God forgives. But if we just cry and acknowledge our sin without really repenting, that's not, that's not repentance, and that's not true repentance, and that's another characteristic of failure. But in the midst of this dark condition, we get divine encouragement. And my favorite one is in chapter 10. In verse 16, it says, And they put away the strange gods from among them and served Jehovah, and his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. Even in their worst condition, even after sinning and falling away from God, the Lord still had compassion on them. It says, And he, his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. He was moved with compassion. And uh, again, that provides hope to any one of us here. There is nothing that's too difficult for God. Don't say, I'm too far away and it's too hard to come back. Because even in your worst condition, the Lord has sympathy for you and He was waiting for you to come back. Another source of divine encouragement is that God can use anything to bring about salvation. He used human instruments which they thought they were not good enough to be used by God. He used someone like Gideon who said, my, uh, my thousand is the least in Manasseh and I'm the smallest in the house of my father. He used three women. He used Deborah, he used Jael, and he used an unnamed woman who killed uh, Sisera. Sorry, killed someone else. And um, he's happy to use someone like Ehud, for example, who is left-handed, doesn't have much strength. He's happy to use weak instruments of ve weak vessels that the power may be and the glory may be his and not of us. So there's a great source of encouragement that no matter how weak or how small or how whatever you feel about yourself, God can still use you. And the last thing is, although the situation was bad and the book and the scenes of this book are very dark, we still get a joy of a song of victory in chapter 5 when Deborah sings her famous song. So even in the worst condition, the Lord gives them some comfort and a uh, source of rejoicing, even if it's just for a small amount of time, for a short amount of time. It's a very nice book, and I encourage everyone to read it. It takes about an hour and a half to read, which is not too long. So I hope you can read it tonight. <laughs>